message for tonight. I'm going to invite Anthony up, and I'm going to pray for the offering. So, Father, thank you so much for your amazing presence here tonight. Um, and thank you for your faithfulness, just like I said before, um, that you are faithful to give to us so that just like you, we can give back. Um, and I pray for the tithes and offerings. Um, bless every penny that's given. And bless the person, bless the giver. And um, yeah, just give us joy. And bless Anthony as he speaks. Thank you for his um, way of speaking tonight. Um, just give him more and more of your wisdom as he speaks so that he can give it to us. And help us to hear your words through him tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Give a hand to Pastor Anthony. I thought of like an old Mel Brooks movie instantly, where like the hands like bombard the guy. <laughs> so we are starting the year off with a series on joy. So let me ask you a question. Has anyone ever heard a series on joy and felt like they were convicted for not having a smile on their face all the time, 24-7. Anybody show hands? Me, me and Justin, only in... Okay, amen, bless you honest people. Okay, this is only partially going to be like that. So, hopefully it's a step up. But tonight's title is, What Exactly Is Joy? Because it turns out that it is both straightforward, but also kind of more nuanced than I thought when I started doing this sermon. And I think I've done two or three sermons now in the last few years on joy, and each time I learn something new that makes me go, oh, wow, well, that's really cool. And when you're studying for a sermon and you as the pastor say, oh, wow, that's pretty cool, that's very encouraging. So I hope that this joy, this joy message is enjoyed. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, what is joy? This is the definition of the Old Testament word. I won't try to pronounce it. That is used for joy. It's very similar to the New Testament word, but it's exactly what you might think. And this is from the Mounts' expository. It means joy, rejoicing, gladness, pleasure. What's that next word? Happiness, right? Because we're not supposed to equate joy and happiness. Tough. It's, it's pretty hard to separate the two. Happiness, expressed by singing, shouting, dancing, and playing musical instruments. Also a matter of the heart. Weddings and harvest time epitomize joy in Israel. So that's the Old Testament word, very similar to the New Testament word. But the New Testament word is a little different, and that's what we're going to zoom in on. And that word, please forgive the Greek, I had a reason to do it, and I used it, man. I used Greek. The joy in the New Testament is the Greek word kara. Now, why is that important? It's important because kara has some nuances that our English word joy doesn't. So we want to talk about kara specifically tonight. And the first point I want to make is that if you are a Christian, you've got it. If you are someone who knows the Lord and has the Holy Spirit in you, you have joy. I'm not going to say kara all night because it sounds obnoxious, but when I say joy for the rest of the message, in your mind, it means kara. Okay? Cool. So what is this New Testament word? Kara, well, it's very similar to the Old Testament word. It's used 59 times as the opposite of grief and sorrow. Geez, whatever could that be? Well, it denotes joy, happiness, gladness. It can refer to feelings, interesting, and can result from circumstances, 
but for the believer is continual because of our relationship with Christ. And this is the first stopping point where I'm going to explain a little bit. The root of Christian joy that we've all got is the fact that we realized we were justly living in a state of condemnation. We became horrified at our own sinfulness and the fact that we knew we deserved to be punished and then had the amazing realization that there is a God, that his chief characteristic is love, and that he didn't like our situation any more than we did. And so he came himself and paid the price so that we could have relationship with him again. That's pretty darn awesome. That's the foundation of this Christian joy that I'm going to be talking about. You have it because of your relationship with Christ. And I think the Bible teaches that we've all got it. Here's a Bible verse. One more. Awesome. As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking in John 15, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Then he says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I don't think it's a stretch to say that Jesus intended us to have this joy, right? And even more explicit is Galatians 5, to 23, where Paul famously writes, the fruit of the Spirit. He, and, and that basically means if you have the Spirit of God living in you, this is the kind of stuff that's just going to pop up. Because this is what shows up in a person's life when the Holy Spirit is present. Number two is joy. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But joy is right there after love. If you are a Christian, if you're in relationship with Jesus, because of that, you're going to have this joy. And joy means joy. <laughs> Characterized by joy. Happiness, gladness, being in a good mood. Why? Because of your relationship with Jesus. And I just said it's the fruit of the Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit, this is what's going to come out. We're just going to conclude the message right here. If you're ever in a bad mood, you aren't really saved. <laughs> you're blessed to go and do and be Jesus in your community. <laughs> Should I add the nuance part? It would now be a good time. Okay, let's do that. All right. So take a deep breath. Yes, kara means gladness. Yes, it means joy. Yes, it means being in a good mood generally. It can mean a whole bunch of stuff. And we're going to talk about three different ways that the joy, and I want you to hear kara, of the believer is present. Okay? Three different ways it can show up and three different ways that you're intended to have it. Number one, the most exuberant display is active rejoicing. The very first time this word is used in the New Testament, it's used on an ordinary night when everything is calm, and suddenly, bam, the entire angelic army is in the sky talking to a couple shepherds, ruining their nap, and saying that the Messiah has finally been born. And this is describing the shepherds. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. joy Matthew 2.10. And our favorite language nerd, Mounts, explains... That this is an emphatic construction of kara, joy, along with its related verb, kairo, I'm, I'm almost done with the language nerdery, <laughs> thus expressing the overwhelming nature of their joy. This joy that you have 
can be so overwhelming that it pops up in celebration and rejoicing, right? It can well up like a, like a holy bomb blast almost, and suddenly you just want to freak out with joy. But sometimes we need to choose to access this manifestation of joy when the situation seems contrary. Going back to the Old Testament, there's a, a part of the Bible that's very interesting where the Israelites have broken the law so badly for so long that God finally has to judge them. It's not a high point of the Bible. There's an awful lot of really depressing stuff. But eventually, some select Israelites get to go back to Jerusalem, which has been completely ransacked and torn down, and they want to try to rebuild it. The problem, though, is that they're not really trained builders. They're just dudes, and the whole city is wrecked, and they're surrounded by people that want to kill them. So, great. Yay. Rejoice. So, the leader of that tribe of misfits, a guy named Nehemiah, gathers them together at one point and decides to read the book of the law. The law that they broke to get judged to be in their nasty, destroyed, falling down city, right? So, he reads the law, and what happens? Everybody gets depressed. Dude, they're totally convicted. But Nehemiah has a different take on the whole thing. Check this out. From Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. They're all crying. And Nehemiah said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Pause right there. Wouldn't it make sense? In our ruined city, hearing the law read that we broke to deserve this faith, to mourn and weep. Isn't that appropriate? And Nehemiah's response is, No, you're seeing it wrong. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he, Nehemiah, said to them, Go and eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our God. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You want to cry. It is appropriate to party. You want to mourn because of what's happened. And it's true, it happened. For all the reasons you think it happened, this is not a bright, shining situation. But still, rejoice. Be exuberant in your joy because we know who God is. And just as sure as this happened when he said it would, we know what he's promised in the future. And that is a cause for rejoicing. And so, there's this interesting principle in the Christian life when we need to use our joy by choice when it's appropriate to do so, even in celebration. There's a fantastic illustration of this, where a movie character goes into a deep, dark dungeon of a place and has an outburst of joy, and it's contagious. That's right. It's Buddy the Elf in the mailroom. Now, some people might cry foul because Buddy got drunk before he danced, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, and this is like the best, I can't believe I prayed to the Lord and he gave me this. I'm blaming God now for using Buddy the Elf. <clears throat> not really, I'm sorry, Lord. But is that a nasty, depressing place? Yeah, that's the point of the scene. Everybody's down, it's gray, you got the flickering lights, but one dude gives in to exuberance and starts celebrating, and it's a party. This is what joy does. Joy, used intentionally, is an incredible weapon that the Christian has. 
You can change atmospheres. You can cause people to catch it. And this works not just for exuberant celebrating joy, but this works with just being in a good mood. You ever walk up to four people in a bad mood and intentionally be in a good mood? Not in a irritating way. You will change the dynamic. It's absolutely true. So the first way that this joy that we have can and should show up is active rejoicing. Amen? Amen. You just can't do this forever. <laughs> a few minutes into this scene, he's laying on a table, right? He is spent. He's done. So you're not expected to live at this intensity. The second way that your Christian joy can show up is what I'm going to call a passive cheerfulness. Passive is a weird word. I do not mean that in the sense that it doesn't care or that it doesn't do anything. I mean it in the role-playing sense. This. That's right. I didn't expect that, did you? So, I'm a nerd, and I occasionally get together with my friends, and we play a certain game that rhymes with mungins and flagons. <laughs> and I play a guy that I've based on this drawing, all right? He's a barbarian. Very proud of myself right now. I found a way to work it in. Anyway, but he has a skill called passive perception. Am I all alone here? Who's got it? Passive. Yes, Lawrence is in there. Come on, preach. And Justin. Justin runs the game. My guy's passive perception is 18. All right? And average humans is 10. So that means this guy's normal state of being is to notice every stray footprint, every forest path that leads faintly off into the bushes and anything out of the ordinary. And he doesn't have to work for it. It's a passive skill. It's just, I just spit. Sorry, Daniel. It's just always working. Does that make sense? So his normal way of being is to notice stuff. I'm saying that one way the joy of the Lord manifests itself is in a constant state of general cheer. You should be a little happier than everyone else. You should be in a slightly better mood. Your outlook should just be a little more optimistic. Right? And again... A great example of what this looks like, taking to a bit of an extreme, is Buddy the Elf. <laughs> this is more Christmassy than any of the Christmas messages I did. <laughs> Buddy the Elf goes through the whole movie, and I don't even like the movie Elf, okay? I'm sorry, I apologize. But he's just always happy. The movie starts with him getting kicked out by Santa. Think about that. And he's going to find his lost dad, and he's in a good mood the whole film. And he's in a good mood, even when it's tough to be in a good mood. Buddy the Elf has a tough cheerfulness. Your Christian joy is a tough and robust cheerfulness of heart. It's a robust optimism that is not easily damaged. And that is what I think Paul meant when he said the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You can't be jumping on tables and dancing all the time. And God doesn't expect that from you. But I do believe that the work of the Holy Spirit, again, because of the fact that you are in relationship with Jesus, causes this robust, tough cheerfulness. And we see this over and over and over again in the Bible being worked out in everyday life. There's a story in Acts where Paul and Barnabas are, are doing their preaching thing. And there's kind of a progression in the book of Acts, right, where they show up. And things are kind of calm. And then immediately something happens that's bad. And they're either kicked out of town or stoned. or You know, it's like so predictable. You wonder how they kept going. And that happens to them. They get a bunch of people saved. And then the people of the city decide they don't want them around anymore. 
And this is in Acts chapter 13, verses 50 to 52. Check this out. But the Jews incited the devout women of the prom the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They didn't just get kicked out of town, they got kicked out of the district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. They just went somewhere else. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I don't think that that's put in there as an aside. I don't think it's a euphemism for they found the courage to keep going. You know what I mean? I think it actually means that they were filled with joy. I think it means that their robust cheerfulness was tougher than getting kicked out of the town. I think they were still in a good mood. These are the people that get arrested and sing in jail. Right? And you just cannot deny that one way Christian joy shows up is a robust cheerfulness. You can't get around it. So maybe we can't dance on tables all the time, right? But we should be generally cheerful as a fruit of the Spirit. And you might say, well, Anthony, I'm not prone to that in my personality. Me neither. <laughs> okay? Sorry. But let me tell you what, I'm a heck of a lot more cheerful, even with my personality, with Jesus than I was without him. And, and if you knew me then, you'd notice that my mom is over there, like, rolling her eyes and shaking her head, like, dear God. So, I mean, sometimes you have to know a guy before and after to see what the Holy Spirit has done. But cheerfulness, it should be there. But there's one more. Oh, let's go one more. There's one more way that kara is used and that kara is present in the Christian life. And that is the reason and the source of joy. I got this right from blueletterbible.com. That kara sometimes doesn't mean the actual feeling of joy itself. Your kara can mean the reason for celebration and joy itself. I'll give an example. All right. So, Buddy the Elf... <laughs> Not even he could keep his, his cool for long, right? I mean, he comes against an imposter Santa. Oh, my gosh. All the bells and whistles go off. He freaks out. He loses his cheerfulness. He's not dancing on tables anymore. He takes that sucker down, right? It's like an amazing part of the movie. So is his joy gone? Well, no, not really. Please forgive the analogy. I just wanted to use Buddy one more time. But my point is that sometimes things happen in life. Maybe they catch you off guard. Maybe they're just extremely difficult. And not only are you not dancing on tables, but even that, that cheerfulness is like too much to ask, man. Right? There's a lot of verses in the Bible about suffering. Alright? There's a lot of verses in the Bible about bearing with each other's burdens and about seeing each other through hard times. There are no verses in the Bible where Paul says, just suck it up and pretend to be in a good mood for Jesus. Right? That's not in there. But our joy remains. <clears throat> but the joy remains in this sense. When you can't be cheerful, when you aren't dancing on tables, you still have a reason for joy. Paul uses the word this way when he talks about the actual people in Philippi. In Philippians 4.1, a book he probably wrote, by the way, in prison, having a very, 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 very difficult time. But he talks a lot about joy. 
He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Who's his joy and his crown? The people. He's not talking about actually rejoicing at all. All right, we still use the word joy every now and then in English in this way. I found this annoying cup that says, my pride and joy has four legs and fur. I hate the whole elevating pet thing, but that's the whole other topic. Well, what does that mean when somebody says, this is my pride and my joy? Like when somebody gets a new car that they've worked their whole life for, you know, like, oh my gosh, is that a new Lamborghini? Yes, it is. It's my pride and my joy. They don't mean I had this ritual performed. And all of my pride and all of my joy were removed. And they are now stored in the hubcaps of this car. And should I ever need them again, I know where to get them. Because pride's over here on the passenger side and joy's over here on the driver. You know, that's ridiculous. That's not what we mean. We mean, I derive joy from this. And Paul is saying, I derive joy from these people, right? So... I think we see joy used in this way in a few interesting places. Here's one more. This is John chapter 3, verses 29 to 30. And this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus. Here's the scene. Jesus is getting popular. And John the Baptist's disciples are going to him and they're like, Hey, this Jesus dude that you baptized, now he's baptizing a bunch of people. And there's more people following him than following you. And they say that to John like John should be upset about it. And this is John's response. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This then is my joy, and it is complete. He must become more important, and I must become less important. He's saying, you expect me to be upset that Jesus is getting popular. He's like, don't you understand that the whole reason for my joy is to prepare the way for the Messiah. And now the Messiah is here, and he's, he's getting popular. That's, that's why I'm celebrating. This is the reason for my joy, and you think I should be upset. Here's another one. My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. Jake, 1, 2 to 4. I apologize if anyone has had this preached to them in a way that says, if you're suffering and you're upset about it, you're doing something wrong. That is not what James is saying. Otherwise, there would be a period after trials. But there's a because after trials. He says, consider it joy, consider it a source of rejoicing because of what you know it will ultimately do. Does that make sense? This is a verse about thinking about things right. The same way that Nehemiah had to say, you want to mourn, and I can understand that, but today's actually a day for rejoicing. We need to change our perspective. Think about it from an eternal standpoint. Yes, you're suffering and that suffering is real, but... Ultimately, it's making you more like Jesus, the Lord that you worship. And you're going to see him one day, and he is going to reward you. Amen. From that standpoint, even the worst trial may not be fun, but it becomes a cause of joy. And this can actually happen. We have another verse where people are commended for doing this very thing. And this is in Hebrews 10, 32 to 34. The author of Hebrews writes this. You endured a harsh conflict of suffering 
after you were enlightened. That means you got saved and times got really crappy. At times you were publicly exposed to abuse and afflictions. And at other times you came to share with others who were treated in that way. You shared the sufferings of those in prison. And you accepted the confiscation of your belongings with joy. And then we have our friend the because. It's not because any of those things were fun. Does that make sense? It's not because they pretended and they put a big plastic smile on their face. It's because you knew that you certainly had a better and lasting possession. It's because you tweaked the way you looked at it. And you looked at it through the lens of what Jesus has done for you when he gave you that joy. Does that make sense? So maybe you're not dancing on tables. Maybe you can't even muster up a cheerfulness. But the Bible is saying that the joy of the believer is deeper than that. It's something you can focus on and you can get the perspective to find a reason to rejoice in any circumstance. Does that make sense? Here we go. Okay, so our previous conclusion that if you're ever in a bad mood and aren't really saved is now obviously bunk. Right? Because the Bible never preaches that. Joy is good for you. Joy is fun. Joy is more fun than being in a bad mood. I could say all those things, but I think we all know that, right? I think we all know that stress and cortisol is bad and that joy is good. What the Bible is saying is this. Thanks to the work of Jesus, every Christian is always in a good mood. No. Every Christian has constant access to a reason for joy. And should we choose to focus on that, inevitably... This will lead to real cheerfulness and rejoicing. Does that make sense? All right, come back next week for How to Tap into Joy. All right, thank you guys. Let me hand this over to Leah.